Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans. 30% of Americans who are planning home improvements of $5,000 or more will pay for those renovations with a high-interest credit card. That may not be a great idea. A better idea may be to take cash out of your home with a Quicken Loans 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. The rate today on our 30-year fixed-rate mortgage is 3.99%, APR 4.08%. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate subject to change. Pay 1.25% fee to receive this discounted rate. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 33. All right, you're back in the DFSR. It's an NBA podcast. It's July, it's Friday, and it's July 12th. I'm so excited. I'm Doug Norrie, that is. James Davis. I'm so excited because A, we're usually talking baseball <laughs> on a Friday morning. No time for that. B, excited because the NBA absolutely never stops with this news. It's kind of yeah, it's getting a little bit out of hand. I mean, this is unsustainable. It's clearly unsustainable, but I guess in a second we can get to where this, like, what this means for the game. But I mean, we just have another night of Woj bomb, stop the presses, figure out all the people in your life that can talk basketball or get on every social media account or Reddit or wherever you go to read about basketball and start reading takes because Russell Westbrook traded to the Rockets for Chris Paul. I can't believe it. I mean, what, let's start with initial reactions. We're going to go through some stats here, but... In an offseason that has been nonstop bombs, this one, it's not the biggest, I guess, but man, where does it rank? I'm almost at a loss for words, but I'm not going to be once we get in the flow of this. Yeah, well, I think it ranks number one overall. And I have to say, I'm going to talk, you know, one of our inspirations, Doug, back when we were, you know, college kids, we, we were reading Bill Simmons, you know, and our, mm-hmm. we, which I'd say we generally feel okay about Bill Simmons, but the, a take that I heard from him this morning while I was doing my gardening was, the old guys now, they're just not sure about all this player movement, you know, that that it's kind of fun at first, but like, where are the teams that stick together and where are the dynasties? And I just want to harken back to an article he wrote in 2007 that I remember that I've been keeping around. It, he wrote a whole article called Welcome to the No Balls Association. It's a play on NBA, if you didn't pick that up. Um, <laughs> it's much easier to, to get that pun if you're reading the article because you can see NBA. Anyway. Um, where he just shames, goes through. Everyone gets an F, essentially, for not making these like huge blockbuster, at the time, totally unrealistic trades. And now that people are, I think, wisely treating their teams like fantasy teams, right? Like, like aren't the Thunder just doing exactly what every smart expansion team does in Dynasty Keeper Leagues? Who, like, don't, when they don't care about any fans or whatever, they just acquire assets? Like, and likewise, aren't the Clippers, Rockets, Lakers doing what all the smart teams with a chance to which is like overpaying the future to try to win now like this is great what what could be better than teams being smart acting in their own best interest and creating really good competitive teams so when we get to the playoffs there's six really good teams instead of one like this is amazing i i just don't even i won't even begin to understand the take where this is not where this can't where this isn't the best thing for the league so so when you say number one do you mean number one and just in terms of like shocking news or like number one in terms of making your team better i I feel like it's the former but i just want to make sure that there's a distinction here about what you mean by when you say where does it rank do you mean it's like ranks like the biggest like what the hell moment of the offseason is that which is that what you mean by number one oh i wasn't responding to the westbrook thing in general i was just responding to this this offseason in Uh, general as just being amazing oh Um, gosh okay the westbrook move in terms of no i think we knew westbrook was going to be traded i you know this particular package wasn't really the one I envisioned, like I was certainly picturing something like the Pistons, I thought it was more realistic or, you know, just cause again, making the salaries work on Westbrook was going to be so difficult, but they have their own back contracts like Reggie Jackson, maybe something with Orlando if they package together. 
you know, some stuff. But I was also, you know, when you first texted me, you saw the trade before I did. You were like, Westbrook for Paul. And I was like, oh, like I didn't even know about the picks. I was like feeling as though the league didn't view Russ as an asset at that point. And I think there's a case, you can make a strong case that he's not. Uh, People like Zach Lowe have made made that exact case. So from that perspective, it was surprising to me that they got so much in exchange for him. You know, like they got real significant value. A year less on the deal, plus two picks and two pick swaps. Like that's that's incredible value for a guy that Zach Lowe called as having the the second worst contract in the league, right? Yeah, it was basically like, could you trade um, him for John Wall straight up? You are paying, it's like one extra year on the, because Paul was making an unbelievable amount of money too. His contract was awful as well. He was making... They're essentially both make three years from now, both going to make $44 million, And then you just get one extra year of Westbrook. And I guess that's where the picks come in. And Westbrook's a little younger, too. So I guess you figure you're going to get a little bit more out of the life of the contract for Westbrook than you are out of Paul. But, man, I mean, there's a couple different things we can talk about here. We can talk about the offseason in general. But just in terms of this trade, from a basketball perspective, Give me your thoughts first. I have thoughts, but I, I don't want to. I don't want to just draw because I, I feel like I'm gonna. I'm, I might bury it a little bit here. But from a basketball perspective, oh man, I, like Westbrook's stat. Like there's there's not a lot of stats that back this up here. But I mean, what do you think from excitement standpoint? Interesting. Like the storyline is awesome, but I just don't see it from a basketball perspective. <laughs> but I thought the same thing when they traded for Chris Paul. So I don't. And that that kind of worked. So I, I just don't. This one. This one. More than anyone. I have so, so many huge question marks, and I feel like I can it can really swing in just a ton of different directions. Yeah, so I, th- I think the obvious question mark is like, how do you get like Russell Westbrook is simply a Chris Paul on steroids in terms of like how much he needs the ball and <laughs> just like all those things he brings. He brings like a similar level of intensity. I think you know it's not quite as like like I don't think he has the same reputation that CP3 does in terms of just being like totally unbearable, which is kind of the the consensus that a lot of people have on him. Um, now, the interesting thing I think with Westbrook is we have seen a proxy where he played with a really, really good shooter and a guy who needed the ball in his hands a lot too in Kevin Durant. And that last season with Durant, Russ shot 45.4% from the field, so 3% higher than this year. He shot 1.3 fewer three-pointers per game. He got to the free throw line one time more per game. His free throws were just awful this year, too. I don't know what's going on with Westbrook. But, um, and he rebounded the ball similarly. So basically, he averaged that triple-double. Or no. No, this was the year before, obviously. Um, so basically, this was before those averaging the triple-double seasons. But he was far more efficient. And I wonder if, you know, the last three years, it's basically Russ just being like, whatever, man. Like, I, I just need to be the guy. So I'm just going to take the ball. Kind of forgot that they got Paul George on the team. Maybe there's something to be said for like him and Harden join forces and he actually sees and like respects Harden's offensive game enough to not do that. But yeah, I think there's potential train wreck here too. So I don't know. What's your gut feeling on this? My gut feeling is that this is going to be bad. And, but again, I'm, I'm, I'm making sure I couch it by saying that I kind of thought that again, the same kind of thing about Chris Paul right away. I think I'm trying to remember exactly what I thought, but the, the Chris Paul, or maybe not. I've got, was Chris Paul, the, was, this is, I should just know this off the top of my head, but was the Chris Paul the first season of Chris Paul? Were they was that the year that they lost in the fi- in the in the conference finals to the Warriors, or was that the second season of Chris Paul? I should look this up, and I should just know it off the top of my head. But I, I'm I'm trying to remember where exactly I landed. I don't believe I don't believe I was that bullish on it at the time. 
I, I'm, the I'm, good Chris Paul year in was last year. So Paul was only played with Houston for two seasons. The first year was when they had the three-two lead on the Warriors. Oh, then never and mind. Then I was bullish on it going in season because that was the season I picked them to win it all. So maybe I did. I take that yeah. back. I, I I went into that because I, I and they and they lost they lost to the Warriors, right? So okay, so I take that back. So I was bullish on that move going into it because that was the year I bet them at like eighteen to one or twenty to one to to win the finals. Um, okay, so I take that back. So I, I guess I don't have the same feeling here. I'm a little worried that Russ's game. So there's a couple. So there's a statistical angle and there's just like a general feel angle. I'll give the feel angle first. Russ's game is has been predicated on hunting down those little stats here and there when you can get them because it boosts the stat line. There's no no doubt about it. This is how you just average triple doubles. You need to. You can do it by having overwhelming skill, but you also just need to maybe be grabbing an offensive rebound when you shouldn't be, maybe be passing the ball you know, here in a suboptimal spot when you shouldn't be. Maybe you're jacking up threes because you don't really understand what you should be doing at the end of the games. The three-pointers were an absolute disaster. Mm-hmm. His game is undisciplined and in, in a way that Paul's wasn't. Paul's game, for as much as he's curmudgeonly and whatever, he is, his, his game is very, very disciplined. There's no, no, absolutely no doubt about that. In a way that it could, it was able to sort of transform and work with Harden because he just takes almost like a scientific approach to his game that Russ doesn't. That's my first. Yes, yeah, so I, I think you could argue that in the first season. I think last year, just the just Paul being old now, like he's thirty four years old, right? So it's just hard to be insanely good at basketball and on the NBA level when you're thirty four, unless you have you know basically singular athleticism or an incredible shot. Everything took a step back for Paul last year. So I, I certainly understand the Rockets feeling like, okay, whatever the whatever the fit is. Like, this guy is just old now, and he's not oh. going to be your second-best player on a championship Sorry, team. I didn't mean to make it sound like I wouldn't have done it. I think it's worth the risk because of that. I'm just saying that, um, and I, t- I totally get that. I, I agree with the part where, that's why I mentioned before, you get a slightly younger version, and maybe it's just worth seeing if you can turn it into something, because I do think that's probably ultimately worth the risk. I'm just saying that it's just so hard to envision how it works. I mean, these guys do the same things. Like, Harden does the same sort of rebound hunting, because it's great. They want to get him out in transition. They just want to have him... the have the ball early, as early on in a possession as possible sometimes. And that, the best way to do that is to grab those backside, weak side rebounds when you can get them. Um, you know, the fact that Westbrook's shooting took such a dip last year in terms of three-point shooting, that actually the, you mentioning the free-throw shooting is such a bad sign too because those are that can just be sometimes correlated together in terms of like what your just release and mechanics are looking like. If, you're, if the easier shot is becoming harder, then the harder shot's going to become almost impossible. And if you look at Westbrook's, just overall, I mean, just like some of the numbers he put up last year, like his true shooting percentage, he ranked 185th in the league in true shooting. Other guys in that area were Austin Rivers, Dennis Smith, Terry Rozier, who's, who got his bag. So he's, he's good to go, but he was still in that same area. I mean, that, and then like the list around these guys is just, it's mostly like six men or guys you would consider busts. Like, sure. Well, and that's your, your ranking just among qualified guys. Like, you know, he's, He's mostly, most of his company in that true shooting range are guys who can't see the court often enough because if you're there, you're essentially a replacement level offensive player like James Nunnally or Frank Mason or Ian Clark and guys like that. And so, again, you have to ask yourself, with a guy that has so much impact on the game, is that intentional? Like, you know, this super high volume, low efficiency thing. Again, I have simply no clue what was going on with the free throws, right? Like, how do you go from shooting 80 plus percent free throws every year of your career except one? for the first eight years of your career and turn into a 65% free throw shooter. Like, is that variance? Is it effort? No, it's your is mechanics. It I think just, it's like your mechanics and injuries. I, you I think like, so? Right? Like, I just, it, this is like a very repeatable thing. This is the thing that's actually supposed to be the most repeatable. And when the repetition of it starts 
degrading maybe because you've had injuries or because you're tired or because whatever whatever it is that it, that I, I don't think it's variance though I mean do you I mean we talk a lot about variance and like there's certain stats that have a lot of that variance around it like maybe three-point shooting because the systems change or the looks change or whatever it ends up being you know you can kind of just run bad for a while but not on free throw shooting, right? Like, have we seen guys that have just run really bad on free throws? I can't think of any off the top of my head, but... I, is that well, not- I haven't. I mean, and it's, this is tricky, right? Because you're you're correct generally that this is a stat that just normalizes pretty quickly just because you shoot so many of them over mean. the course of a season. Yeah. Like, you shoot four or 500 of them, and there aren't a lot of variables that come into play. But, I mean, you're saying about, oh, yeah, maybe it's mechanics or whatever. Like, if you just look at players throughout history, like... You know, I, I just pulled up a few guys off the top of my head, right? Um, Michael Jordan shot 84.5% free throw from in his first year, 82.1% in his final year. Isaiah Thomas, 70.4% free throw in his first year, 70.2% in his final year. And I, I, you know, I could go through other guys too. I, I tend to think players actually improve their free throw shooting over time. That's just my general thing I've observed and just looking at a bunch of random stat lines. Um and, you know, some of these star type guys do have more variance around it, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, LeBron, 75% his first year, 73.1% in Cleveland, but then last year, 66% too. Who knows? On the Lakers, he actually was hurt and stuff. So um, I don't know. Well, I, I, it's just a bizarre stat to me. Like, the other, I think if you can expect him to shoot 65% from the free throw line, that's a, that's a colossal disaster. I almost swore on the podcast. Like, he, he can't do that if this team wants to compete. Um, that's that's a lot of what's dragging that between that and the high volume terrible three point shooting. That's what's made him such a, a difficult to watch offensive player. Yeah, this year. and the other thing. So when you mentioned offensive player, his offensive win shares, which was a cumulative stat, um, which by the way James Harden was number one by a, a landslide last year in offensive win shares. Mm-hmm. He had eleven point four. Lillard was second with nine point seven. So it was, and then that's like the yes. difference. That's the difference between like number the difference between one and two is the same difference between two and six or something like that so there's a pretty wide gap between um Harden and the next closest guy in terms of offensive win shares Westbrook ranked 140th in that stat last season with 1.8 total offensive win shares that's just that's horrible I mean among again just to give the list around him among qualified players in this range Otto Porter Aaron Gordon Kem Birch Doug McDermott Willie Hernan Gomez who barely gets there and qualifying from Kem Birch too qualifying for enough minutes to be said in the stat I mean this is and by the way again it's cumulative so it's even more damning because Kem Birch had played 2,000 less minutes and was right there with Westbrook like this is these are these are just really 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 damning stats now again Houston has shown that they can take guys and kind of convert them into into their system and make it work. Like they, they took a, a flawed team last year, Harden carried them, and they played guys like Austin Rivers and Daniel House and these guys. I mean, Austin Rivers played the crunch time minutes for them in the playoffs. These are guys that really shouldn't be, and yet the system for Houston is predicated on having Harden having the ball. And maybe a guy like Russ doesn't matter as much. And that's the other part of it where, you know, I got into an argu- a text argument last night with two guys that I'm real good buddies with from high school. I'm just going to give them a shout out here back at Pack and Beak because uh, we just have like an ongoing sort of like dad slash NBA text thread that's been going on for, I don't know, years now it feels like. But they, they <laughs> said, so what's your reaction to this? So I didn't tell you, I told you, I, I, I insulted them by calling them both um, radio, talk show radio calling guys that were just like curmudgeonly. Yeah, and I, th- I actually thought I might get defriend- unfriended and removed from the thread. I'm being serious because I, I knew that was a low blow. But they called, they both agreed to start that Harden and Westbrook were the two most selfish players in basketball. 
What is your reaction when you hear that word? I mean, I'm, I'm, gonna I'm not going to define it, but like what, they mean, what that means by that, but does that strike you as correct? They said, do they put the two most selfish players in basketball on the same team together? I have a very, I have a very hard take on that, and I'm, I'd be, it's going to be hard <laughs> to sway me, but I'm wondering what your opinion is when you hear that, that thrown out there. Well, selfish is a, is a kind of a silly word, as best I can tell, because it's just, it's connoting like intention or something, and there's this value judgment against it that I don't know if I'm like comfortable making a big stand on. I will say that if the implication is that you are doing things for yourself to the detriment of your team then I think it's a ridiculous claim. I mean... Well, do you think it's ridiculous yeah, led to, for both? Because I actually... I think it's... Well, I think it's it's probably... Well, mostly for Harden is what I'm talking Good. about. Good, okay. That, that's where um, I'm going to. All right. Because Harden last season... Yeah, he led the league in usage by a mile. I mean, in a staggering way. Among qualified players to have a 39.6% usage rate versus Embiid's 32.7% and second place. Like, that's a huge difference. And it's really hard to, like, you know, wrap your head around... How, what a big difference that is. I mean, to go 7% down from first place to last place, I probably should have had this ready off the top of my head, but that's like going down from Embiid to like around 50th place in the league. Mm -hmm. um, so you're looking at a guy who who did have a singular usage rate. Now, part of that too is Chris Paul being hurt, uh, Harden chasing the MVP campaign and, and his team supporting him in that. So, you know, there's more context there. But um, so yeah, on the surface, he led the league in usage, so you would say, man, this guy ends a lot of his team's possessions. But if you look at his efficiency numbers, like um, effective field goal percentage or true, true shooting percentage, you're now looking at a guy with a 61.6% true shooting rate. And if you're not familiar with that stat, that basically is a stat that tries to look at not just your field goal percentage, but, you know, blending in how you're... Th it's like try it tries to match together field goal percentage, free throw percentage and three-point rate and you don't need the formulas you can look that up if you'd like but it's people believe it to be a pretty good measure of what how efficient you are as an offensive player and his 61.6 percent true shooting rate uh that's better than Embiid's you know so Embiid 59.3 still super efficient again as a guy who plays right next to the basket um that's better than everyone else in the top let's see here everyone else in the top 20 in terms of true shooting percentage except for Steph Curry and Giannis. So the guys in the top 50 that are better than him are Steph Curry, Giannis, Kevin Durant. And so you're like, oh, well, hey, those guys must be better offensive players. But again, Harden uses the ball way more than everyone else, which leads you to believe that he is taking shots, I guess for better or worse, but um, that are more difficult. He almost has to be, right? So yeah, Harden is incredible. I mean, I think he's, for my money, he's the best offensive player in the league. You, you can make, well, in my case was he should have shot more. Like there's, you can make you can make Gates. He maybe didn't shoot enough, considering the, what the true shooting percentage was, and just sort of like the the overall efficiency when you add all the pieces together. Maybe that's a little too far. But I was just, I was mostly kind of go, pulling my hair out of the very little I have left at this point, because of conversations like this, probably. But the, I, I was like, these, these guys aren't comparable in this way because one guy, there's the, the the reason you can't call it selfish is because the team said go do this right like this was a very strategic plan about how they wanted to utilize their player there's no doubt about it this was the plan this is why i mean people hate the game this is the other argument we get into the stylistic point and i think this is kind of what draws out the argument is the stylistic from a stylistic point of view it is not so much fun to watch and and this is where i also got into the argument with them because i was like well this is the other thing where you know 
if the data supports it, then is it is it should the onus on you be to be stylistically, you know, engaging and kind of creative, or should you just do the thing that the stats say to do, which is to say, you take three pointers and drive to the basket and get these shots, and this is the only way or the best way for our team to win. So calling him selfish really rang very hollow to me because it it's just not the case. Now, I, it, and I and I get that this selfish is like a layered word that can mean a lot some, some different things. It did make a little more sense to me in terms of Russ because of the things we mentioned before, that he's doing things that were just non-objectively bad for them to, to be done, like shooting three-pointers and things like that. And maybe whatever Billy Donovan and the rest and Presti and these guys couldn't get it through to him or didn't want to or didn't feel like the juice was worth the squeeze when they tried to get him to maybe change his game, that maybe that wasn't like part of the plan. And so it just kept continuing to happen. But I just saw them as just two totally different players. I guess that their stat lines can sometimes look similar, but from a player standpoint, I just don't see them. I really don't even see them all that close or, or, or comparative that way. Even though, even though I guess like the stats can come out sometimes looking like they're somewhat similar. If that makes sense, I don't know. I was going nuts. I like I like I just. Well, so here, here's an argument in favor of the fit, right? So I, I think I'm leaning. I'm actually going the other way again. I think the argument is, you know, because both Harden and Westbrook are great passers. So if you look at uh, assist percentage in the last year, if you throw out J.J. Barea, he's on this list because he barely got over the list and qualified. Uh, it's Russ and then Harden and one and two in the league. So Harden better than LeBron, better than Chris Paul in terms of the percentage of his teammates' baskets that he assists when he's not the one shooting, right? Because um, there aren't that many shots to go around on Harden's team because he ends most of the possessions himself. But when he does, uh, he averaged seven and a half assists a game in spite of being by far the highest usage guy. Westbrook uh, assisted 44% of his teammates' baskets when he wasn't the one shooting. I wonder, too, I mean, think about the teams that both of these guys had with them, Russ in particular. Like, who what, who are the shooters on OKC that Westbrook was really going to trust once he got down in the paint? Or the guys who he could look around credibly and say, you should be shooting the three percent, the three pointer, and not me, right? Oklahoma sure, that was always the problem. Their problem was they didn't have any of those guys for almost his whole run. They never really. George, I guess, was ends up being the closest kind of spot up three point shooter. I, I mean, Durant would well, be the previous okay. Sorry, guy, right? but, I meant after him. Uh-huh. Sorry, yeah, I mean post Durant was that they were just always struggling to find shooters. They couldn't get Oladipo to get there for whatever reason, and then they they had PG last year, but he's really not the guy you're talking about. I'm with you. Yeah, he hasn't had those guys at all. Yeah, so I think, and Houston obviously built the exact opposite way, where basically everyone except Capella on the team can shoot. And I wonder if, yeah, I, I just, I, I guess I just wonder. You know, we've seen Russ in one environment with two coaches his whole career in Brooks and Donovan. Houston is just a much more functional organization on that level, in my opinion. You know, once you actually get down to executing a team vision on the court, mm-hmm. Houston is one of the very few teams. They were, they were the, one of the pioneers of this approach, right? So I think if. And if Westbrook, if this really was his target destination, which is what everyone claims right now, then I wonder if he looks at it and is like, dude, it would kind of be nice to play in a functional offense. Who knows, right? Like maybe he just gets in there, it's good for two months, and then he just starts doing rough stuff and they hate each other, <laughs> whatever else. But um, I don't know. I, I guess I am I went from pretty skeptical to now cautiously optimistic. I think also, to your point that you made earlier, it just wasn't going to work with Paul, especially like a breaking down aging Paul. Yeah, this is a lot. This is a very all-in move. This is like... If it doesn't work, you're going to be pretty bummed after the fact. But, man, if it does, like if there is that other gear for Westbrook, if he does play differently. I mean, we saw it when OKC had real realistic chances, how he looked as a player. Uh, you know, when OKC was challenging Cleveland, when they were challenging Golden State. Uh, Russ, people didn't have as many concerns about Russ back then, right? So, I think, uh, I don't know. I, 
it'll be fun to watch at the very least. And this is why I love the NBA. Like, what what could be more fun than the best players? Just getting to see them try on new uniforms and and fit with different players. Yeah, I've been very I've been trying to be very careful about being non-committal about what I think this is what what's going to happen here because I do think there are a lot of ways that it can work. I mean, the energy behind Russ is great. Like the guys, there's no there's no doubting the motor. Uh, there's no like you cannot question the motor at all. The motor is maybe the best in the league when it comes to just overall full exertion every single game. No doubt about it. You're never wondering if you're going to get him playing at 100%. You know, again, whether that 100% is the most efficient in basketball that you're getting out of him is a different story. But if you can turn the motor into better, some better choices and just having like sort of a one-two punch where you can, and I get, I'm, I'm guessing that part of this was also the ability to get Harden off the floor a little bit more in a way that Chris couldn't, you know, really do as much and wasn't going to be, it definitely wasn't going to be able to do as much going forward with the injuries and whatnot. I think there is a, a, a decent chance that they're a, a still a very, very good team. I, it'll be interesting to see defensively kind of where they land. I think Paul was a better def- overall just one-on-one on-ball defensive player and a definitely better defensive player when it comes to scheme is my is my strong guess without having a, a stat to pick that up on. It'll also be interesting to see what happens with Eric Gordon here. He's on a last year of an expiring contract for $14 million. If, if people see him as an asset, then they might be able to flip it for someone that possibly fits better, or they just want to keep his three-point shooting. I'm not exactly sure. They'd be pretty small across the board, and defensively, I'm not sure how great that perimeter defense is going to be if those are the three guys plus Capella plus P.J. Tucker. Um, I, I'm, you know, I'd probably take a wait-and-see approach on that one too. But, man, this is fascinating. This offseason's been just crazy. I just can't – the West in particular, I just don't, I don't even know. And also this consolidates because OKC, after the PG trade, they took a dip down. But to really reconsolidate even more power on teams is just, I don't know. Like, who doesn't make the playoffs in the West? There's gonna be good, there's gonna be a good couple good teams here that don't make the playoffs in the West, uh, based on just sort of the way things are shaking out. I mean, do you have kind of final thoughts here? Do you want? Do you, do you have a team? If you look down the standings, like who is out? Like the Warriors? Even can the Warriors just miss the playoffs this year? Um, I think so. You know, like, I mean, if you like, look at the teams that we believe to be locks, right? Clippers, the Lakers. Lakers weren't in last year, so they'll have to leapfrog somebody. Right. Uh, the Rockets, that's three teams. I think Jazz, Portland, and Denver are three more that most people would look at and view as a lock. So who's going to lose their spot? Uh, probably Oklahoma City, although, I mean, <laughs> if you just look at it on paper, they replaced PG and Russ with Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Gallo, and Chris Paul, that's not terrible, right? Like, that's not a complete embarrassment, especially if you believe that, you know, Russ wasn't necessarily even a net positive on offense from time to time. You know, and I think, you know, that might be taking things a little bit too far, but um, but it's at least close. And then you have San Antonio, who's returning pretty much the same team. Yeah, I think they're out. I don't know. People like them. I, I think that I, I can see them being... What's, what's like, going to be so much worse about them it. this year? I mean, they're the same team. I just think that I think something that some of those other that those like the that the Lakers I think the Kings like if we're talking about teams that could take a step forward I think the Kings could um, and the Lakers obviously would I, like I would put the I, sure I guess but if I the, the war if the Warriors and OKC have both taken a step back and that's two playoff teams you need three playoff the, teams the Pelicans the Mavericks are both uh, both the Pelicans and Mavericks are better this year I mean the Pelicans are a very deep team they're interesting I'm not saying that they're going to be sure those teams better, won sixty six were... games combined last year San Antonio won forty eight with this exact team. 
Yeah, but they were trying to lose. They were, they were, those, teams were, those teams were trying to lose. Like, they were, they, the, the Pelicans were actively tanking at the end of the season. So I, it's not a total one-to-one, -one, like, taking their wins and, and just translating to the next season. They were playing Anthony Davis purposely tw 20 minutes a game when they were playing him at all. Like, they weren't, they, they weren't trying to win. I, I, I suspect if, you know, if that team, again, it's a totally different team, so who knows, but, like, if that team was actually trying, 40 wins maybe is more realistic, you know, if, if, if AD doesn't ask for the trade. But, again, it's not a perfect example because he's not on the team anymore. The Mavericks are going to get per Chris Porzingis back this year um, with Doncic. Like, they're no doubt an improved team just by adding that one piece. That was, like, essentially their offseason move was getting Porzingis coming back and playing on that team. So that's a marked better team. I don't know. I, I'm not making a full-on prediction here, but I just – the Spurs, I, I, I'm with you. In the, the Thunder, I think, are probably out. And the Spurs, I could just see taking a step back just with age and just their players just don't seem all that good. But again, the Spurs just every year just win like 40 something games and make the playoffs. So I'm always, I can be wrong about that. Yeah, I don't know, man. It, this is crazy. I, I do think OKC probably tries to move Chris Paul, although I don't know who the, where the fit would be. They could absorb his money. I'm not great on contract stuff like that. So I, I'd be kind of shocked if he played the whole season in OKC. And at the same time, I just don't have a great idea of where he's going because he doesn't really fit into the... Yeah, I think there's, I think just they're just stuck this. with it, kind of, like unless there's like some kind of buyout option. <laughs> One thing I heard was, OKC buys out Chris Paul, he goes to the Lakers. <laughs> that was a good take. I think that's totally unrealistic. He's just going to make so much money. But um, yeah, I don't think they can really get out from under that contract. I think this was like, this was the move uh, where Chris Paul could move. where And you just saw what the cost was, right? You had to move him plus for really legitimate assets to acquire what other other people have argued is the worst contract in the league, right? Or the second worst contract right. in the league. So I don't think there's going to be a huge market for Chris Paul that the Thunder will want to really get involved with. Probably once he's an expiring contract, I think you could see a, a deal come up, but with multiple years left on the deal, I think he's stuck. Real quick before we get out of here, though, the, the DFS landscape for this year. I mean, you yeah. know, we've been doing DFS basketball. Uh, this is... This last year was our sixth year? No, this last year was our fifth year uh, with the business. So we're coming into year six. Easily, I mean, it's obviously, I don't need your opinion on whether this is the craziest offseason we've ever seen. But for DFS purposes, these first few weeks of the season are always pretty interesting because I feel like we tend to be ahead of the curve in terms of figuring out how everything fits together. You're kind of the guy who looks under the hood the most in our NBA system. How are we even going to approach this? Like, What's the proxy for trying to figure out what... AD's numbers are going to be with LeBron or Paul George and Kawhi coexisting or, you know, Russ and Harden. Do you see any of these as easier or harder or Steph Curry with nobody, you know, like as any of these is easier or harder to predict going into that first game of the season? I think there's going to be great value in two things. One, any team that stayed the same. Okay. Um, which is not going to so be you many, think there'll but there be are value, But you're talking so about I like that, that like boring kind of like, hey, well, at least we can predict this kind of value. Yeah, like I kind of know what we're gonna get here. Um, yes, that kind of value to start, like value in there's some there's going to be some safety around that, right? Like there's there are some teams like like for instance a guy like Giannis, right? I think Giannis becomes a guy that you can like safely sort of pay for based on his previous year stats because I think those are gonna be generally the same, right? Like whereas whereas Anthony Davis, you might have to take a little bit more of a wait and see approach because like we even saw you know big differences in Davis when he was playing power forward as opposed to center last year, right? Like when they would like pair him with like a guy like Okafor maybe, or when he was just like playing the five. So I think that like taking a wait and see approach and guys like him, for sure, PG and Kawhi, who have never been necessarily for, you know, full season long DFS darlings, just because of the way their game is predicated. Um, I think those, you know, kind of 
the, you know, without seeing prices or anything like that, those end up being kind of stayaways for me. Um, I, I think there's great value in guys like Jokic, who again, like he, he's like a, he, he's a guy like like Giannis, where I kind of know what we're gonna get. By the way, one one bet that I like, I know you asked about DFS, but I want to throw this out there. Right now, MVP odds. It's a lot of the usual faces you're getting, like Giannis and you know Harden and guys like this that were sort of like based on the vote from last year. But Jokic is like 20 or 25 to one with, to win the MVP. And he was third overall in MVP voting overall for last season. And I think there's so much value in him as an MVP candidate because he's just the guy. Like so many of these teams now have two guys and it's so hard to grab an MVP from when there's two great players on a team because the team's going to probably be great and it's going to be maybe tough to distinguish about why they were so great. Was it Kawhi or was it PG or, you know, was it Davis Moore? Or was it, was it uh, LeBron and got situations like, was it Harden or was it Russ? Like these things, I think are going to be kind of tough to distinguish, except for like Jokic. He's just still the guy in the team. So I think there's a, there is value still in having Giannis as an MVP candidate, um, but also Jokic, like 25 to 1, just seems to me like a, a great value bet, considering where he finished last year. The fact that he's probably going to have to play even more this year for Denver to really maintain relevancy in the West. Like they're just going to need him to just really ball a lot. The West is very difficult. So anyway, I know that's not a DFS question, but I love that MVP bet um, at, at kind of long odds. So I gave a roundabout answer. I think it's just going to be – I think there's also going to be some value in some of these bad teams, like that, like the Knicks with Julius Randle, guys like this, that enter situations, um, you know, Bradley Beal and the Wizards. Like the, those kind of situations, I think, from a DFS standpoint, we're knowing what we're going to get with them. And for a lot of these teams, I think I'm just going to have to say five games that we're going we're to kind of know, unless they're coming so cheap that you just can't avoid it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a pretty good take. I, I think for me, as I look at it, I think there are, I, I guess I, I see all these duos as not being created equally because I think there's some obvious like fit considerations. I think one guy we're going to mm-hmm. play a lot early on is Anthony Davis, um, where there's two things. First of all, he and LeBron run, will run in a legitimately unstoppable pick and roll where no, nobody can really cover either of them. And so think about now switching on, on those pick and rolls or trying to fight through mm-hmm. it's it's going to be just a comical situation there especially with news now that lebron will probably run the point out of la um i think the other huge component of that team in particular is that unlike say houston or the clippers there's just nobody else on that team right i mean maybe skinny boogie i don't know if you've seen any pictures of him but he's looking like he's getting in shape he claims he's going to play all 82 games um maybe you could argue he eats some usage but i think brow is going to be like ridiculously good early in the season um especially you know just getting sick of the muttering work all off season to get in shape make this whole thing work clippers of the new darling just get ready for him to have a huge year and um and i think he's like well, the one clear, real quick, not, i think he's the clear number one dfs option for the first day of the season 2020 i was talking about offensive win shares just like he was 12th overall in offensive win shares last year and he played 12 less games than the next least amount of games played and like basically like 700 to 800 minutes less than all the guys that are above him in offensive win shares like he had a terrible season in terms of obviously with the tanking and just like all the you know getting got dragged right he got rightfully dragged um because that situation was a total disaster so not making a case for like he did the right thing but just in turn but it's so easy after one season to forget that this guy's like effing awesome like he's so good he's 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 a guy when he's going full 35 minutes a game there's people were like is he just the best player in the game and right and that was like a, a warranted argument so i think it's easy to forget after one season because it went so 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 terrible like what kind of mistakes can be made here but like I'm, I'm totally with you i think the stat line for him especially with an unselfish lebron that wants to get him probably going as early as possible 
um, just because of the new situation. And LeBron has just shown time and time again in his career that he has the mode where he just doesn't need to score 25 points a game. He just can happily do something else. And if it's going to help them win or get other guys involved, I think that I think you're totally right. Another guy in that realm, sort of too, is like Carl Anthony Towns. Like that team's the same. I, he he finished the season with just some crazy eye popping numbers. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of safety. And in, in, if I'm just adding guys to the superstar list of stuff we just kind of still know we're going to get out of them, Cat uh, is is for sure in that group also. So yeah, I think the DFS piece is it's going to be fascinating, man. This has been an off-season unlike any other, and it'll only be matched two years when all these guys are free agents again and we just see it all again. And they all realize, as all these NBA stars seem to do, is it sounds fun to play with another superstar until you do it, and then you all hate each other. And that seems to be the one running theme that, seem, that you know, death taxes and these guys hate each other after two seasons seems like, it, like they just never stick together unless you're the Warriors. So well, I, I was like one, you're going to hate other, other, uh, One other funny thing. Oh, and another guy I love for DFS, Steph Curry this year. I uh, just got ready to load up on him because I think it's going to really be something. But... Um, just like Steph Curry is just one of the only like normal guys in the NBA. Like, you know, I'm sure you heard the story about him like going to fly out to New York to try and convince KD to stay. You heard the story? Yeah. So he was going to fly. Nah, okay. So the story was he was flying from China to New York. Um, and he and KD, like KD knew he was coming. Right. Um, and this was going to be like their last conversation before Durant makes his final decision during the flight. KD announces Hey, I'm going to announce my decision on Instagram tonight, <laughs> which is going to be like, you know, like an hour after Curry's plane was supposed to arrive or something like that. Right. And then, of course, the news leaks way before that, like, hey, Durant to the Nets. It's a done deal. Right. <laughs> so Curry's just flying. Right. The uh, I guess the pilot like awkwardly comes to him and is like, hey, do you want to just not go to New York? <laughs> like, do you want? And he was like, nah, like, I'm just going to I just like I'll still go. I just like want to say. Like, thanks to Durant for, for everything. It was, like, a great run, whatever. So this story gets leaked of what actually happened. And, you know, as people do a little bit more digging, basically, supposedly, this was kind of how it worked the whole time. Like, from the initial recruitment to Durant actually eventually landing in Golden State to, you know, him being grumpy there that people didn't see him as the man. And, like, basically just Curry trying to be his big brother and, like, guide him through and be like no everyone loves you man no you're so good you won the finals mvp and katie would be like yeah but you still gave the speech when we got our rings and like stuff like that and i think that you know a lot of these guys i mean let's face it too like your childhood just matters and many of the guys in the nba had really difficult childhoods you know just that's just the way it's Mm -hmm. turned out for whatever reason like we have stories about lebron uh katie for sure i can't say i know everyone's stories um but a lot of them come from really, really tough backgrounds. And then there are people like Steph Curry who just didn't, right? <laughs> so he's just like right. trying to be one of the grown-ups in the league. And just like all these other knuckleheads around him are just like yeah, yelling at each other and trying to fight. And he's just trying to be a peacemaker. Uh, so anyway, I just thought well, that was it. A- as, a, as a host of the We Got Nets podcast, I do have some – I love the Durant signing for sure. But there's some, there's some definitely red flags. Like the Nets claiming they didn't even know he was signing until he announced it. Um <laughs> Even though he had made the decision like in March, like this is just crazy. This is this stuff's crazy. So I don't. <laughs> Durant is a player. I'm all for it. He's just like a you know generational talent, obviously. But there's some r- real red flags about the guy's like just overall mindset in terms of how he approaches just general things like communication or general things like I don't know. Yeah, letting those around you know what you're doing. That's a uh, I don't know. It doesn't <laughs> seem like a sustainable thing for him. Doesn't doesn't seem like all that sustainable just from a 
a net life perspective. I mean, you know, money aside. So yeah, I don't know. There's gonna, there's, <laughs> there's so much. That, there, I felt like there was something else I was gonna say, but now I'm forgetting because I'm just got, got sidetracked with the with the Curry thing. All right, we're gonna get out of here. DailyFantasySportsRankings.com is the site. DFSR.com for sure. We'll be around all basketball season talking this stuff. If you just if you step if, if you saw this on the MLB fe- feed, um, then uh, Caleb Smith, Domingo Herman, and Stack Horse. And there you go. There's your DFS <laughs> baseball advice for the day. So, well done. Uh, we'll be back. <laughs> we'll be back again next week talking more NBA, more ba- baseball. I'm sure some other crazy trade will happen between now and the time I post the podcast. Buddy, enjoy your Friday. Peace. Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans. 30% of Americans who are planning home improvements of $5,000 or more will pay for those renovations with a high-interest credit card. That may not be a great idea. A better idea may be to take cash out of your home with a Quicken Loans 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. The rate today on our 30-year fixed-rate mortgage is 3.99%, APR 4.08%. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate subject to change. Pay 1.25% fee to receive this discounted rate. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Fall is finally here, and so is Old Navy's big fall sale. Get thousands of styles from just five bucks. All your fall favorites are on sale now. Layer up with $5 tees and $10 long sleeve tees for the whole family, and stock up on sweaters and dresses for just $15. Plus, save even more with up to 75% off clearance styles. Don't miss out. Hurry in for thousands of styles from just five bucks now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1015 to 1025, select styles only. 